All right, we get to start a brand new teaching series this morning. We've been in the Psalms all summer long, um, and now we're kind of, this is kind of the first day of Sunday of fall for the Red Mountain calendar sake. Classes started upstairs, uh, community groups are starting back, that kind of thing. It's a good, it's a good time to change something up. Uh, we try to cover the whole Bible, um, and so we move back and forth from the Old Testament, the New Testament, and different genres, and so it's time for us to cover a gospel, a uh, gospel being the account, the good news about Jesus, uh, the account of his life, um, and uh, teaching us, encouraging us towards faith in him. And so we're going to look at the gospel of Luke, um, which is unique in many ways, and we're going to unpack some of those uniquenesses as we uh, go ahead, how it's different from Matthew and Mark and John. Um, but I'm, I'm really looking forward to this. I think this will be uh, a good time. It'll be timely and touch on many issues it'll be good to talk about. Uh, the only other thing I need to tell you before we jump in and read is that we're starting in chapter 3 this morning. So the first two chapters of Luke are covering the accounts of the birth of John the Baptist and of Jesus. And we're going to cover them this Advent season. So we're not skipping them. We're going to just move them into another place and we're going to come back to them. But this is actually going to work okay because this is a transition chapter and this is we're going to cover the beginning of um, Jesus' ministry, which actually starts with this figure named John the Baptist. Uh, John the Baptist, was uh, his birth was foretold in chapter 1 um, and he, his fame grew um, about who he was and promises attached to him as the herald of the um, new coming Messiah, and we're leaving him off where he is grown up and he is out in the wilderness. Um, and that is going to bring us up to speed with where we are here, chapter 3. So all that being said, uh, let's go before the Lord and, and read his word. In the 15th year of the reign of Tiberius Caesar, Pontius Pilate being governor of Judea, and Herod being tetrarch of Galilee, and his brother Philip, tetrarch of the region of Iturea and Trachonitis, and Lysanias, tetrarch of Abilene, during the high priesthood of Annas and Caiaphas, the word of God came to John, the son of Zechariah, in the wilderness. And he went into all the region around the Jordan, proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. As it is written in the book of the words of Isaiah the prophet, the voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord. Make his path straight. Each valley shall be filled, and every mountain and hill shall be made low, and the crooked shall become straight, and the rough places shall become level ways, and all flesh shall see the salvation of God. He said, therefore, to the crowds that came out to be baptized by him, You brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Bear fruits in keeping with repentance. And do not begin to say to yourselves, We have Abraham as our father. For I tell you, God is able from these stones to raise up children for, for Abraham. Even now the axe is laid to the root of the trees. Every tree, therefore, that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. And the crowds asked him, What shall we do? And he answered them, Whoever has two tunics is to share with him who has none. And whoever has food is to do likewise. Tax collectors also came to be baptized and said to him, Teacher, what shall we do? And he said to them, Collect no more than you are authorized to do. Soldiers also asked him, And we, what shall we do? 
And he said to them, Do not extort money from anyone by threats or by false accusation, and be content with your wages. As the people were in expectation, and all were questioning in their hearts concerning John whether he might be the Christ, John answered them all, saying, I baptize you with water, but he who is mightier than I is coming. The strap of whose sandals I am not worthy to untie. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand to clear his threshing floor and to gather the wheat into his barn, but the chaff he will burn with unquenchable fire. So with many other exhortations, he preached good news to the people. But Herod the Tetrarch, who had been reproved by him for Herodias, his brother's wife, and for all the evil things that Herod had done, added this to them all, that he locked up John in prison. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let me pray for us. Father, would you speak to us through your word this morning? You would be with my words, make them true, uh, that you would open up our hearts that we all might receive the good news that you have for us. In Jesus' name, amen. Um, I saw this week, and you might have seen this little alert on my phone uh, from AL.com about this Jesus 2020 campaign. Anybody see that? Um, You can get a yard sign to put in your yard that says Jesus 2020, and it was started here in Alabama, and it has spread nationwide. Um, I found this curious because as I was studying for this, it kind of reflects two different things. One, it it reflects um, an expectation of hope. Um, of who, what is the source through which good is going to come? How do you fix all this mess? And it also reflects a disillusionment and a, a kind of despair about the current state of things, uh, poli- particularly the political things, um, that things are in such disarray that um, not much is going to fix this and we need something that is extra special to come and sort out the mess. And believe it or not, This is not something that is just unique to our time. This is something that is very, very close to um, this uh, time in history when John the Baptist was uh, coming on the scene. Um, This is a time of great expectation um, and great desperation, um, that things are really bad, and yet we want God's kingdom to come, we want things to be made right, and we don't know exactly how that is going to happen. Uh, we see this in John's day, not from yard signs. Uh, there were no Messiah 4 BC um, yard signs you can get. Um, but what we saw is in a lot of the literature, um, you had this, what you, you would call an apocalyptic theme um, that is coming out. And I want to say this because, first of all, we're coming in to talk about John the Baptist. And if we look at John the Baptist on the surface, he is a really weird dude. And we had to do a little bit of work for this to make sense. Uh, How is he relevant to us here at all? And in fact, I think there is quite a lot of relevance um, that we are going to see. And all of it has to do with this central question is in the middle of chaos, how do we usher in the kingdom of God? How do we position ourselves? How do we prepare ourselves such that the kingdom of God can come that we can flourish within it, um, and that there can be uh, the healing um, of chaos that we all long for. Um, This is what I think is something we will relate to and um, something that is very near and dear to the hearts of these people. So I want to kind of attack this in this way. I'll first look at who is John the Baptist. 
um, to kind of bridge uh, his day to us. And then we're going to look particularly at his message. What is it that he's saying? And with that, I'm going to give us just a few takeaways of application at the end we can take home. So who is John the Baptist? From our vantage point, uh, we don't see it in Luke, but we can see from Matthew, he's, he's out in the wilderness, he's wearing camel's clothes, he's eating locusts, um, he is preaching about judgment, um, looking like a crazy man. And to me, he kind of looks like Charles Manson to me. He doesn't shave. Um, if there was ever a stereotypical cult leader, it would be this guy. I mean, if you, here's some pastoral, pastoral advice. If you see anyone in our day that is behaving like this, please don't listen to them and don't follow them because it is probably not going to be good. This is what it looks like from our, our position and our vantage point that why in the world would people be coming to this guy and being baptized and listening to him and taking it seriously? But to understand that, we've got to understand a little bit about um, the background in the world that John is stepping into. Um, and it's a little bit of a history lesson. I'll keep it brief. Uh, just try to bear with me. But I think this is really important to understand uh, what our, our, the author is getting at here. If you're familiar with Israel's history at all, then from the time that you know, Israel was sent into exile for their disobedience, they were, they were God's special people who he has called blessed, he has called his own, and who he has promised will be a blessing to the nations. But in their inability to live out that calling, they were sent into exile. But while they were in exile, we always had these promises that are coming forward through the prophets, um, uh, verses like this in Isaiah 40 that John is, is, uh, that Luke is quoting about John here, that there is a hope that is coming, that despite all of this, that one day God is going to make everything right, that he is going to bring his kingdom to bear, he is going to raise his people up, and they are going to actually be able to fulfill this calling that, um, that has been given to them from the very beginning. But what happened? From that time, from the last prophet until John comes on the scene here is about 400 years. And in that 400 years, then several things happened. Um, one, Alexander the Great takes over, who is a Greek. And one of his ways of maintaining control was that he would mix Greek culture in with Jewish culture. And so if you were in John's day, um, in Luke's day, and you are thinking about your, your religious identity, it is mixed from your heritage and also with the culture now. They're very, um, they're kind of diluted and mixed in with each other. So there's a cultural compromise that has been happening. If you're a kid in school, you're learning in Greek. Uh, you're not learning in Hebrew. That's why the New Testament is written in Greek. There's a cultural compromise and disillusionment and dilution of what's happening. Not only that, there's also a religious problem that is happening. And that is part of what the Greeks did when they moved in is that they would move in their gods and their idols and mix them up with the local cultures so they were all in the same and so they could maintain control. They could keep power. But what they did was they put an idol in the temple, not knowing any better, which was very, very offensive to the Jewish people. And so what they did is they revolted. They rose up and they kicked um, the Greeks out for a time. Uh, They cleansed the temple. And this is what the holiday of Hanukkah uh, is all about. 
But from the fallout of this, what we have was that in order to reclaim a Jewish identity, in order to reclaim power, then they ended up putting a high priest who was not from the right family line on the throne. He came from the family of the revolters, uh, the ones who were able to kick out the Greeks. And this was a way of consolidating power. And for some, this was good. For some, this was not. Uh, For some, this was a clear sign that now culture is all mixed up and our worship is all mixed up too. We can't depend on worship in the temple anymore. It's contaminated. And so you have groups that are breaking off. And so what you find in John's day is there's a lot of despair. That it wasn't the church at that point because Christ hadn't come yet, but the people of God. If I say the church, that's what I mean. I mean the people of God, just to be to relate to us. Is that you're looking around and all of this stuff is happening and it's like, what? who are we anymore? Um, are we even special? Do we have an identity? Um, do we have a place in this world? Uh, how is in this situation then the promises of God going to come? And so what we have are all of these factions, even in the people of God breaking off. You have people like the Pharisees. You've heard of them. These are like the moral elite. And so their solution was to maintain an outward morality and particularly to educate the people. In a grassroots effort, they would send out and they would educate in the traditions and we're going to reclaim our culture in that way by, through education, bringing us back. So you have this moral solution, the moral elite Um, who want to transform culture by education. You have the Sadducees. If you've read the Gospels, you've heard of them too. The Sadducees are like the political elite. They were of the high priests. The high priests were usually Sadducees. um, And they would compromise with Rome, who was occupying them, in order to leverage as much political power as they can. They were willing to give up things to them in order to maintain as much power. And so that's the political solution. We're going to politically compromise who we are to, to get what's best, as much as we can get. You also have the spiritual elite, the spiritual solution. These people are called Essenes. I don't know if you ever heard of them, that they would break off and go into the desert. And they said, uh, everything is hopeless. Our worship is too contaminated. The church is too um, corrupt, is too worldly, is too Greek. Even the temple... Um, our heritage is not right. And so the only thing that we can do is separate. And so what we are going to do is separate, have nothing to do with this. We are going to maintain our own purity in a place of separation. And then maybe God will be able to smile on us and he will come and he will set things right. And we also have the radical elite. They're called the zealots. And they would say that everything is so far gone Everything is so bad, there is only one solution, and that is violence. And that we will plunder and we will steal. Um, The problem here is our oppressors over us. um, And what we have to do is kick them out. We have to rise up in violence to kick out our oppressors. And that is the only way the kingdom of God is going to come. And so you see, you get a picture of what this world was like. Um, If you are a, a Christian before Christ, part of the people of God, then you're looking around and things aren't right. And even what does it even mean to be part of the people of God now? Like, who do, who do we side with? Who do we trust in? Everything seems to be in chaos. Like, even our sense of identity is so out of whack. How do we really hope that the kingdom of God is going to come? Um, 
And I think there is a lot about this that is actually relatable to how a lot of us feel right now with a lot of the different solutions. We can see aspects of the moral solution, the political solution, uh, the spiritual separatist solution, and the, the violent solution, all trying to get at the same reality that how do we position ourselves so that the kingdom of God can come, so that things can be made right, so life can go to back to the way that God has designed it in the first place. And so when John the Baptist comes on the scene, what he is, he is coming out of the desert where these prophecies have uh, prophesied that he is going to come from. Um, he is kind of imitating this walk from the wilderness through the Jordan River into the promised land that is part of the people, of, that the journey that the people of God went on. And he gets here on the scene and he said, the time is now. The kingdom of God is coming and it is here. This is the time. And people were really eager for this to happen. They were looking for it, whatever possible um, they could do in order to get on board with this. So this, he's a little bit less of a crazy man than he looks like uh, in our eyes. There is a particular movement in a particular time where God is signaling to his people that he is on the move. He is about to get things done. So that's who he is. What does he say, though? Um, if we look into here, then he is... I don't know if John invented baptism, as it were. Um, scholars disagree on this. Um, their washing was all very old, even to Old Testament times, and so this idea of cleansing was really familiar. But there's something particular about John's message in that John is coming on, on the scene and he is preaching a baptism for the forgiveness of sins, of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. And that means that whichever of these groups you've identified with, whatever your solution is to bring the kingdom of God, that submitting to this baptism is to say that that is not enough. That even in that, we need something else. We need something else for our sakes. We need something else um, for the kingdom of God to come in this place. And it is this. It is this gospel of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. I'll unpack both sides of that. Repentance is an acknowledgement um, of inadequacy. The first part of it is an acknowledgement of wrong in and of ourselves um, and an acknowledgement of inadequacy um, to bring, to, to fix uh, the problem that we have is to say that moral education might be a good thing in good ways, but it is powerless to actually penetrate the heart and change uh, what is inside. Um, politics are useful. They're created by God, but they are hopelessly inadequate to change ourselves and to change people. Separatism, powerless to change, because what do we do when we separate? Who are we always bringing with us whenever we separate? ourselves and our own hearts. And violence, is misuse of power really bad? Yes, it is really bad. But it always comes from somewhere. And that there is something deep and broken inside of human, of human beings that give cause to all of these problems that we can't fix. And so what we need as he, for any, the kingdom of God to come is like somebody to have a knife that is sharp enough to divide dark from light in places that we can't get. It's a supernatural issue. We need to be cleansed. 
We need to not um, have extra strength to make something right. We need mercy and we need to be forgiven. We need a savior from the outside to come to us. And this is what John is come is here preaching that in the middle of all these things, it starts with repentance. It starts with an acknowledgement uh, that we are wrong in and of ourselves and we need help. We cannot solve this on our own. But there's another side to it. You follow along this conversation um, that it doesn't stop at that point. Um, but he, he is saying, he calls this group a, a brood of vipers. Um, who warned you to flee from the wrath to come, but bear fruits in keeping with repentance. And that it is not any of these identity markers um, that are going to actually do you any good. But there's something else that God has always intended from his people. That he has always intended them uh, to imitate himself, to bring blessing and not curse. To do good, to shine light into the dark places. And we see this in verse 10 and on in this conversation with tax collectors and soldiers that there is a a whole turning away from what is bad and to a new way of life. That is one one, um, speaker uh, said it well once that what God is after even in the repentance is a reclamation project. It is to make new what is broken. It is healing. It is a restoring and it is a making whole. And just like, just to use the illustration, let's say if you are a part of a kingdom, a beautiful kingdom, and a foreign army comes and, and takes over and occupies, and through the years of their careless occupation, the, the castle is breaking down, um, you know, statues are breaking down, and it's not beautiful anymore, and then someone comes and they, they kick the occupiers out and they're gone. And then you say, okay, great, now we're good, now we go back to life. And we say, no, we rebuild. And we want the beauty of, of what the thing before um, was. We want things to be restored. And so John's message of repentance is a full turning. It is acknowledgement of that we need something else besides, uh, besides us to save us. But it is also pointing us in a direction of restoration. That God's project of what he has come to do, what this kingdom has come to do, is to make new what is broken, to restore uh, to send us back out and into life to participate in this kingdom, which is something that we um, is essential um, and that we can't miss. I want to. This is the there. There's a lot in this passage that I wish we had time to unpack. I could really preach on this um, twice, probably, and and not exhaust it all. But in doing this and setting the stage, giving the context and kind of giving us the core of what he's preaching, I just want to give us a few takeaways as we are leading into this gospel of what we can do with this and how it, uh, how it impacts us. First of all, I want us to notice God's mercy. That after 400 years of darkness and occupation and people taking over and retaking over and destroying and just the weariness that went on for years and years and years. What this story is about is that that time came to an end. Is that there was, that God was not content to stay away forever, but he was always going to come. He knew the distress of his people, and he was not going to leave them where they were. And we are in a situation today, too, that Jesus has already come once. He has come, he has brought the kingdom to bear in himself, Um, He has inaugurated it. 
Um, and he has given us his Holy Spirit, which is the agent through which he makes everything new. But yet, things aren't all whole yet. And we are still in a process of waiting. We are in a year of waiting uh, where things are just not right. And sometimes we need just a little bit of a reminder that God has not forgotten us and that he will not stay away forever and his kingdom is not going to stay forever, but there will be a morning that is going to come. And with John here, this is one of those moments in history we can look to to see that reality, that he is the herald who came before the king to say the time is up, he is coming now. And we find ourselves in between where he has come and yet he is coming again And that time, too, will come, and this will not last forever. So be encouraged by that. Second thing, I think this brings us back to the basics of what our faith is all about. And we look around our world, you even look in your own family, and look at the conflict, uh, frustration, struggle, those kinds of things, and just wonder, I don't know what to do with this. I don't know how to solve it. I don't know how to solve this relationship I do repent, and it seems like it doesn't do any good. Um, These problems are just unending. And I don't know what the Lord is going to do in your life either. Um, I don't know his timetable. Um, We don't know how he's going to fix or when he's going to fix. But there is something about we have here that we have been given this gospel message of calling us back to the basics, that we can always, wherever we are, repent and acknowledge that what we are doing is wrong. We can confess our sins to each other. And we can lean on the Holy Spirit who created everything, who is in us, who is able to uh, bring change and to make us new. And there's a sense we don't always have to know exactly what the outcome is going to be and how it's going to come. But we have been given this message of good news, of repentance and turning to Him in good works. And wherever you are, I want to just encourage us all Um, to think and to examine ourselves. Who do we have that we need to repent to? I mean, maybe it's that anger problem that's been there a long time that just been chalked up to, I'm just really frustrated and tired and stressed out. And that is absolutely true. It has been a long and a stressful year. We always have the basics to go back to because it is not about you in the first place. It is about Christ, your Savior, who has come to you and who has given you His Spirit. And He will work. Lastly, if we start from that point, this gives us a lot of room for creativity, I think. Did you notice about um, these conversations with tax collectors and soldiers and um, uh, people who have tunics? Uh, you know, these are all different, and they, they all occupy different spheres of life. And if God's kingdom is about restoration of all, of the, uh, all things, then we are all positioned in different places with different things, with different things to do. Um, And so there is a work of creativity that as we go back to the Lord in repentance and in faith, there's also gives us a new vision for a new life. It gives us new questions about how can um, uh, a reflection of this kingdom be brought to bear even now? How can we participate in that? How is the spirit at work? Um, What good can come? And so there's an invitation here where, where God has put you, what unique circumstances he has put you in to ask these questions about who is right in front of me, who is my neighbor. Um, 
We have seen people, even in this church, do this in different ways. We've seen people adopt. We've seen people take on foster care. We've seen people move across the globe. Uh, We've seen people choose jobs uh, that are not necessarily the highest paying jobs, but they're for a purpose. It is unending. But when we catch this vision for what God is about, what his kingdom is about, then we both have the hope that we can go to for our own comfort and our own salvation, and we also have a hope of creativity to participate, and that would be a good thing. So I want to leave this with you as we start on this journey in, uh, in Luke with these, with these things. I want you to be encouraged by this message of good news, uh, that the Lord doesn't wait forever, but he will come as he has come. And I want to encourage us to go back to the basics, to look at our own lives, and to be firmly rooted in that. We never leave that point. And then I want us to dream together, individually where we are, and then together as a community. Where has God put us? And what creative ways could we use to leverage the good news of his kingdom to see it reflected all around us? I'll leave us there. Uh, I'll stop and pray for us. Father, thank you for your word and for the good news and for Jesus, uh, for this message of your kingdom. Give us comfort. Give us hope. Convict us um, where we do need to repent, uh, but encourage us in the grace uh, that you have lavished upon us and that you might empower us to love those around us. In Jesus' name, amen.